everything's going to be straightened out. And we'll be singing victory in Jesus then from a different perspective on it. So anyway. Well, we are in the Gospel of John. So take your Bibles, if you have one, or find one on the table. And turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. And I am glad that uh, Bob Webb did not buy that, uh, that book. He would have given us... Because just imagine what that would have been like. He would have started next week. He started just, and he would have gone on for another year and a half or so. We would have had about 700 of those <laughs> so-called jokes. So. Anyway, so we are in John chapter 8, and we have completed uh, studying Jesus' teaching surrounding the Feast of Tabernacles. And we ended up last week in verse 29. And then, in John 8.30, what we have is the Gospel writer John's evaluation or summary. So this is what the Gospel writer John says in 8.30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now that concept of people believing in Jesus occurs eight times in John's Gospel, and usually they are in, uh, found in summary statements that the Gospel writer uh, puts down. But we know, having studied through 40% of John's Gospel already, that uh, when it says people believe in him, it doesn't necessarily talk about saving faith. Uh, many times their belief in Jesus is a surface belief that has no eternal results. Very similar to the parable of the seed that falls on rocky ground. Remember that parable? And it pops up and looks like it has life. The sun comes out and guess what? Fades away. There's no life, no root at all. And uh, that's what happens here. John says, many believed on him, meaning they professed faith in Christ. That's John's take. But now I want you to look at Jesus' take on the situation. <laughs> it's a little different. Look at verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews, quote, well, who believed, <laughs> who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, indeed. So notice how what Jesus says, to be a real disciple, to be a real follower of him, you have to abide in his word. Now notice it doesn't say read his word. It says abide in his word or live out his word. There has to be some sort of evidence in your, in your conduct and in your life. So, why is John even put this in here? Why in one sentence does he say they believed and then that's his take and then he gives you Jesus' evaluation that you're not his disciple if you don't live out the word. Well, maybe it's because his audience that he's writing to in 95 AD have some of these same problems. There are people that they've shared the gospel with, and the people say, I believe, I believe, and guess what? Then they drop by the wayside. You know people like that, don't you? And uh, he wants them to know that according to Jesus' definition, they're not real believers. Uh, they do not have eternal life. And so we can understand what's happening here, I think. Now look at the results. If you... If you uh, if his word abides in you, you're his disciples. And look at the results. Number one, verse 32. 
you shall know the truth. The disciples, who are real disciples indeed, know truth. They can discern what is truth. They can discern what is falsehood. This is my concern with uh, many church people. They'll come up to me and they'll say something like this. Are Mormons Christians? Are Jehovah's Witness okay? And I'm thinking, where in the world do you come from? You should know that. You know? No one should have to tell you that Jehovah's Witnesses are off base. Doctrinally, you should know the truth. And it says something, doesn't it? It says that the person who, who is a disciple knows the truth. They're able to discern what's right and wrong and what's true and what is false. That's the first result. And then the second result in verse 32 is, and the truth shall make you free. You'll be liberated by having the truth. And of course that verse right there is etched in stone in the old main building on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin. But what does it mean? <laughs> what were they trying to say when they etched it in the building? Did they even know what the verse meant when they put it on the building? Or did they simply think, hey, that's a pretty good verse. You shall know the truth. The truth about what? <laughs> Well, when you look at the context, it's the truth about who Jesus is. It's the truth about eternal life. It's the truth about uh, salvation. It's the truth about God's will. You shall know the truth. The truth about what? About those things. And this truth, knowing this, will free you. It will liberate you. Liberate you from what? Well, before we answer that question, I want you to know when Jesus says this, to them, because this is what Jesus says. These so-called believers. He says it to these believers. They get their feathers ruffled. Because they they say they believe, and guess what he's doing? He's basically saying, you have to abide in my word if you're a true disciple, and you'll know the truth, you'll know God's will, and you'll be liberated. So they get their feathers ruffled. And so, look how they respond in verse 33. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants. And they've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Now, let's, uh, let's dissect this verse for a second. First of all, notice what they claim they are in verse 33. They claim they are Abraham's descendants. That would be by blood. Okay. That's what they are. That's a positive. Here's what we're sure we are. We're Abraham's descendants. Now, look what they claim they're not in verse 33. And have never been in bondage to anyone. Key word here is anyone. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Did Jesus say they were in bondage to anyone? He hasn't defined what he means by the truth will set you free. But they say, well, we're not in bondage to anybody. Now, now look, my freshman students know that the Jews have been in bondage for their entire existence. They sold Joseph into slavery. And then they ended up in slavery in Egypt, didn't they? They were in slavery to the Egyptians. They were in slavery to the Babylonians. They were in slavery to the Assyrians. They were in slavery to the Greeks. They were in slavery to the Persians. And now they're in slavery to the Romans. What do they mean? We've never been 
enslaved to anybody. We don't need to be free. What do you mean we need to be free? What are these people talking about? Are they blinded? Notice how their pride gets in the way. We're descendants of Abraham. And so what they're really saying is this. We're descendants of Abraham. And even though we've been subjected to these people, well, inwardly we're really free. And uh, they're not not accepting Jesus' statement here. So they have not been free. But Jesus isn't speaking about human bondage. He's talking about freedom from sin. He's talking about the truth will set you free from doubt. The truth will set you free from error. The truth will set you free from death. The truth will set you free in those ways. Okay? And he explains it in verse 34. So look what it says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave what? Of sin. Uh, whoever practices the sin. That's what the word commits there. Practices. That's their, that's their lifestyle. And that goes right back to Jesus' definition of a disciple. You're my disciple if you abide in the word. In other words, you're living that kind of godly life. That's the sign of a disciple. And the sign that you're not a disciple of Christ is that you practice sin. And again, notice it's, it's a singular there on sin. So in one sense, and that would mean... Uh, he who lives in this realm of sin, he who practices, uh, lives the way the world lives instead of the way God's kingdom operates. So you you uh, want to end up, uh, let's say, get a raise or get a promotion. Two of you are up for a promotion. And so what you do is you start talking bad about the other person that's up for promotion. You start passing off rumors or lies. That's how the the world operates. How does God's kingdom operate? Operates on faith. So you just trust God. Lord, if it's for me, I trust you to give me that position. See? So they're continually operating like the world operates. And so he says, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin is a slave master. And it bounds people. And uh, many people who have been bound by different addictions and so on, know what we're talking about. So, in one sentence, Jesus sort of wipes out their, their false security. Their false security is based on the fact of who their ancestors were. And in one sentence, Jesus sort of just wipes out. Uh, a lot of people somehow think that they're accepted by God based on their ancestors. My parents were Christians. So you think you're a Christian. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Everybody has, has to be a child of God directly by faith. Or they trust the fact that they're Baptist, or that they're Catholic, or whatever. And that God, that, is, that provides security for them. Jesus just wipes it out and says, no, the truth of the matter is, you're not safe and you're not free if you are committing sin. You're living like the world. And he clarifies that. To drive that point home, what he does is he offers an analogy here in verse 35. Here's what he said. And a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. So what he does is he he sets up two categories. Category of slave, category of son. And what he says is a slave is not part of a family. It's not part of the, the manor house. It's not part of the family. The son's a member of the family. 
the slave works in the house, but the son lives in the house. The slave is property. The son owns the property. So we have these two categories of slave and son. So a slave can't free himself. He can't say, I declare myself free. I'm going to declare an emancipation proclamation. I'm set free. Slave can't set another slave free. But a son can set a slave free, can he? Because the son owns the slave. And if he wants to say, you're free, go, he can go. So that's the categories that he sets up. So look what the conclusion in verse 36. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the son can make the slave free. And Jesus identifies himself as the son, and he identifies them as the slaves. So, Jesus can set you free, not Father Abraham. So that is what is happening in these verses, and you can see. So, what do you think they do? Look at verse 37. Look what he, what he says to them, however. He says, now I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Well, I know that. I know that you have Abraham's blood running in your veins. That's true. So he, he acknowledges that that's a truth. But, there's something else he acknowledges. But, you seek to kill me. You seek to kill me. Why do they seek to kill me? Here's why they seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. Now, notice that they claim that Abraham's their father, and therefore they're not slaves, and they don't have to be set free. Jesus says, well, it's true. Abraham is your father by blood, but you know what? You try to kill me. Now, would Abraham try to... What, how did Abraham treat prophets when they came into his midst? What did he do when he met Melchizedek? Did he send out a hitman to kill Melchizedek? I think they ate a meal and he ties to Melchizedek. See? So if you're a real child of Abraham, how would you act? The way Abraham acted. You would honor the prophets. You would honor God's spokespeople. See? So that's what he's saying right here. So the word of God is not lodged in their heart. And uh, it's not taking up residence in their heart. And they are not living out that word. So... They can claim to be Abraham's children, but they're still enslaved. So now, that's what we have. We have this claim that Abraham's their father. Okay. Now what we're going to have in this next little section is Jesus is going to give a test. To determine whose daddy you are. Whose daddy, who's, whose child are you? Who's your dad? You ever see that on the internet, those little tests? What character are you in Star Trek? You know? Well, this is Jesus' little internet test. And this one's called, Who's Your Daddy? Okay? So, uh, what he's going to do, he's going to lay out this test. So, let's, let's look at this. Uh, let's look at verse 38. He says, I speak what I have seen my father. See, look at this. I speak what I have seen with my father. See, there's father number one. And Jesus speaks what his father wants him to speak. And you do what you've seen with your father. So here's two fathers and Jesus said, I speak on behalf of my father and you do what you see your father do. So here's the question. Who's your father? 
Okay? So let's keep going. <clears throat> Look at verse 39. They answered and they said to him, what? Abraham's our father. <laughs> we'll just, we don't have to take this test. We'll just tell you Abraham's our father. Okay. Verse 39. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Abraham walked by faith. And you don't do that. You try to kill God's spokesperson. So, if Abraham was your daddy, you would do the works of Abraham in verse 39. Okay, now in verse 40. But, guess what? You don't do the works of Abraham. You send out a hitman, a hit team to kill me. See that? A man who has told you the truth. Remember, if you're his disciple, you'll know the what? The truth. I've told you the truth. Do you know the truth? No. You reject the truth. You've sent out a hit team to assassinate me. Which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. He never sent out a hit team to, to kill Melchizedek. And then look at verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. See, there's that second father. You do the deeds of your father. Now at this point, they just, they're very upset. And so they, what do you do when you've been thrown in a corner like that? You just start hurling insults. So we're going to call this insult number one. Okay? So look what they say. Insult number one. In the middle of verse 41. Then they said to him, We weren't born of fornication. Well, what in the world's going on here? The implication is what? You were born of fornication. You know, who's your daddy? Tell me a little bit about your ancestry. And, uh, you know, there's a whole movement in theology that... Uh, in liberal theology, that Joseph was not Jesus' legal father. In fact, Mary, they say, had an affair with a Roman soldier, and Jesus was born out of fornication. And so that theory comes into being right here, and they said, well, uh, verse 41, we weren't born of fornication. And then look what their next claim is, verse 41. We have one father. And now who do they claim it is? God. Now, where in the world did they get the idea that God was their father? It's not an Old Testament concept. Uh, Jews only saw God as the father of the entire nation. They never saw him in a personal way. So Jesus has been calling God his father. So now they pick up and say, well, God's really our father. That's their claim. So what Jesus does is he now gives them the test. He lays out the test. So look at test number one in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would what? Love me. Because God's my father, and that means that would make us brothers, and then we should, should be showing brotherly love. But you don't show brotherly love. So you failed that test. Verse 42. And he goes on to say, Because I proceeded forth, and I came from God. In other words, I am from God, and if you were God were your father, you would know that. It would be obvious. For I have not come of myself, but he sent me. God sent me. And you would have known that. So you failed that test. Test number two. Why do you not understand my speech? You know, if you're from God and I'm speaking on behalf of God, you would understand what I'm saying. But obviously you don't. You failed the test. Because... You are not able to listen to my word. You see that? It's not that you won't listen. What is it? 
You're not able to. You don't even have the equipment to understand what I am trying to say. You have no ability to grasp what I'm saying. So Jesus then delivers his verdict. And here's what he says. You are of your father, the devil. Diabolos is your father. The evil one is your father. And he goes on to say in verse 44, and the desires, notice plural, all the lust and desires of your father, you want to do. See, that's what you desire to do. And what are those things? What are those things which they desire to do in verse 44? He was a murderer from the beginning. That's what their father did. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lot. He speaks from his own resources. For he is the father. He is a liar and the father of it. <clears throat> and like father, like son. So, guess what? how he describes the devil here? Two ways. Number one, murderer. And he was a murderer from when? The beginning. Okay, he tried to kill people. But they had been trying to kill Jesus? Yeah, okay. And look at the end of verse 44. He was a liar and he's the what of it? He's the father of all lies. So, Jesus says, you know, that's what you are. You are of your father the devil. Your ancestry actually goes back before Abraham. Your ancestry starts back in the Garden of Eden with a little serpent that was crawling around and said, Ah, you won't die, and Eve eats it. And then Cain kills Abel. He's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's a murderer from the beginning. Notice that it originates within him. Notice it also says uh, in 44, he was a murderer. He was a murderer. That's what he was. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not right now. This is what he is. He doesn't stand in the truth now. He still murders, he still kills, so on and so forth. So you are of your father the devil. Now look at verse 45. But, by contrast, I tell the truth. Well, that means that I would be from the father, because he's truth. I tell the truth, and you do not believe me, and you do not Believe me. No, wait a second. Back in verse 30, what did John say they did? They believed. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was just surface belief. That was just them trying to, you know, butter Jesus up. But obviously, uh, they don't believe. Jesus says, no, you don't believe. And then in verse 46, he says this. He had something. <clears throat> Which of you convicts me of sin? Now, remember, he told them that... Uh, they that practice sin are slaves to sin, right? Now he says this, which of you convicts me of sin? Now I don't see a whole bunch of hands going up and saying, I will, I will. Is anybody saying that they're going to convict him of sin? No one does that. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And the reason you don't believe me is because you're from the devil. <laughs> Your father's the devil. So Jesus basically lays that out. 
And uh, that's his conclusion. He says, verse 47, He who is from God, hears God's words. If God were your daddy, you would accept my words. Therefore you do not hear, because you're not of God. In other words, you got a different father. It's the devil. So, now, he's a gun, pushed them up against the corner. Notice the logic, how they can't get out of his arguments. And so the next thing they do, hurl another insult at him. They hurl another insult at him. So that's what we have in verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly, You're a Samaritan. That's what we think about you. <laughs> You're a Samaritan. And guess what else we think about you? You have a demon. That's our evaluation of you. You've given your evaluation of us, well, we're going to give you an evaluation too. You're a Samaritan. Notice that racial slur. You're a half-breed. You're a nobody. You're, you're somebody that's uh, not even within the covenant of God. Uh, you're not even a Jew. You're despicable. The Jews wouldn't go through Samaria, would they? Because it was a filthy place. The people there were unclean, they considered. And so they said, you're a, you're a despicable. Despicable Samaritan. We know that. We know that's the truth. And uh, we also know something else. You're demon possessed. You got an evil spirit. So uh, Jesus ignores the racial slur. He doesn't even you know, doesn't even honor that accusation. But he deals it with the second, in verse 49. He said, "I do not have a demon." And here's how I know I don't have a demon. But I honor my father. And you dishonor me. So, Jesus denies having a demon, and he says he honors his father. To the contrary, he doesn't honor Satan, he honors his father God. And then he says in verse 50, And I don't seek my own glory. I don't try to get credit for anything. There is one who seeks and judges, and that's God. God's the one who bestows honor, God's the one who who gets honor, God is the one who judges whether a person is his child or not. God is the one who will vindicate Jesus. God is the one who will determine whether they're children of God. Now look at verse 51. And this sort of begins another little part of, this, of, a, of a discussion, but it's only all one big discussion. Verse 51. Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see that. Now, wait a second. You take that literally, that's sort of absurd, isn't it? A lot of people have kept Jesus' word, and guess what? We die. Dr. Criswell's dead. One day you'll be dead. One day I'll be dead. What's he talking about? He that keeps my word shall never see that? Give me a break. You take this literally, we got, we got some trouble on our hands. And, uh, of course, they do. They take it literally. So look what they say in verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, Now we really know you have a demon. Now we know you're nuts. Now we know you're deranged to make a statement like that. You know. 52. Abraham is dead, they said. <laughs> look at this. And the prophets, they're dead. Jeremiah is dead. Isaiah is dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death? You're crazy. It's obvious that there's something wrong with you. Now notice how sarcastic they are. Uh, they are convinced, at least they're saying it, I don't know if they're convinced, but they're saying that Jesus is demon-possessed, and here's evidence of that. Now watch 
Watch the logic now. Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I honored myself, my honor would be nothing. It is the Father who honors me. He honors Jesus by healing people and, allow, and working through Jesus. That's how he honors him. The Father honors me, verse 54, of whom you say that he is your God. You say he is your God. Watch the logic. Yet, you have not known me, but I know him. And if I said, if I said I did not know him, I do not know him. If I, if I said, I don't know who God is, I don't know God, guess what? I would be a liar just like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. I'm not demon-possessed, I'm not deranged. And then he adds this in verse 56. Your father, the one you call your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Now here's another statement. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Now here's another one. If you take that literally, it sounds like this guy is really out of touch with the reality, isn't it? How could Abraham see Jesus' day? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. Well, you know, Christians say, well, maybe he saw it by faith, you know. Some say, well, he's in heaven. You know, he was in heaven when Jesus was speaking this. We saw his word. Well, uh, that's not how uh, they're taking it, obviously. So look, look what they say. Then the Jews said to him, what are you talking about? That's how I put it. Because that's how it reads, isn't it? Verse 57. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And guess what? He's happy. He's glad when he saw it. The Jews said to him, what are you nuts? You weren't 50 years old. <laughs> and you've seen Abraham? What's going on here? This guy, yeah, they really, they think he's deranged here. So Jesus says this. Here's how he ends. Jesus said to them, and this is a key verse in all of John's gospel. Truly, truly, and most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was. Notice the past tense. I am. That's how God spoke to Moses in the burning bush when Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? And God said, just tell them that I am sent you. The one who is eternal. I am the one who is always present. I've always been present. Before Abraham was, I existed. And this takes us all the way back to uh, uh, the Gospel of John, verse 1, and, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, which says what? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I existed before Abraham. So, uh, that is a, that's claiming to be God right there. He claims to be the great I Am who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, who appeared uh, to Abraham and others. He said, Abraham saw me, and he was glad. Now look at this. That's blasphemy, isn't it? Claiming to be God. So look what they do. They took up stones to throw at him. They're going to kill him right on the spot. 
So they start grabbing the stones and they start, these are the people back in verse 30 that John said believed on him. <laughs> they pick up the stones and they're going to kill him. Okay. And then the rest of the verse said, but Jesus hid himself. And it's a passive verb, which means Jesus was hidden from them. It was like God blinded them. They didn't, somehow he, he, they, were, they picked up stones and hit him and where is he? And he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. He just waved, went right through the midst of them, and so passed by. So uh, Jesus escapes death one more time. Why does he escape death? Why, didn't, why couldn't they kill him? Well, his hour hadn't come. You know? And by this time, every time you see something like this, you should always just add, but they couldn't kill him because his hour had not come. Uh, St. Augustine said something. He said this. It's a good quote. As a man, talking about Jesus, as a man, he flees from the stones. But woe to those whose heart of stone God flees from. And basically they sealed their faith. Next week we go to chapter 9, a great chapter where Jesus heals a man born blind. And then the Jews excommunicate the man for being healed by Jesus. Okay? And that's where we'll pick up next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, help us to uh, take that test. Who is our Father? Do we do your works? Do we understand truth? Do we accept your will? Do we want to honor you? Or are we constantly twisting the truth, lying, have rage in our heart, hatred in our heart, murder in our heart, do we show evidence of being your children or saviors? Oh Lord, if we are your children, help us to remain faithful. If we're in the other camp, help us to step across that barrier, throw ourselves upon your mercy, Crying out, oh Lord, we want to be your children. In Christ's name.